Let's pray together. This is so good, Lord, to be with your people, declaring your praises, and we've sung about, I think with just about every song, your forgiveness, your rich, deep mercy, and I pray that uh, that would have prepared us well now as we open your word to think about the command that you give us to forgive, and I pray that you would, well, Lord, I, I want to pray specifically for those who have been um, harmed in great ways. Uh, I pray that you would show today that um, the greatest offense done against us can be forgiven. And you give the power to do that. But I pray that this word wouldn't come as a crushing word, but it would come as a comforting one. Uh, One that is intended to bring freedom in life and joy and fullness and, and hope. I do pray, Lord, that through your word and the power of your spirit moving through your word, that you would Uh, Draw us to forgiveness and being able to forgive uh, so that we might walk uh, in fullness of life. Help us, Lord. This is a hard one. Help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start there and we're going to look at a couple other texts as well today. So how are we doing? Everybody good? Good. It's good to see you guys. Uh, we're in this series called Deep Lives where we've been talking about what it looks like to be people who possess the kind of character that Christ's followers are supposed to possess. And if you've been with us during the summer, uh, on and off, or if you've been with us every week, then you've been kind of getting a taste of that. And today we're turning our attention to this idea of forgiveness. And what does it mean to be a, a person who is able to forgive? And as, as I do that, I, I wanna say this. Forgiveness is hard, Right? You might recognize that. Forgiveness can be really hard. Now, perhaps, as I say, we're gonna talk about forgiveness today and, and looking at what it means to be people who are able to forgive. You might think, you know, I've had minor offenses done against me. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're the person who's like, I don't know that I've had that much to forgive in my past, and so it's felt relatively easy, or perhaps I haven't had to think about it that much. Or you may be on the complete other side of that equation, and you may have had someone do great harm to you. You may have had someone commit a, a massive offense against you, Uh, And the idea of forgiving that person just seems like too much. I mean, even as I say it, you find in your heart that you're starting to shut down right now and just kind of going, I I can't even listen to what this is going to be uh, because that's just too hard. Uh, And I just want to, one, I want to beg you to stay with me. And two, I I, I want to encourage you that uh, by no means will anything I say about the, the command that we have to forgive Uh, That's not meant to minimize the offenses done against us. In fact, minimizing offenses committed against us is not the road actually to forgiveness. Uh, Sort of trying to lessen those or minimize them or pretend like they weren't that harmful actually is not the pathway to to forgiving someone for that offense done. So here's what I wanna do today. I, I wanna point us back to about a year ago, June 3rd, 2016. I looked it up, I didn't know that in my head. Uh, we did a sermon on Matthew chapter 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And I just want to point you back to that today. It's almost like part one of this part two. Uh, now, I wasn't anticipating that a year ago and thinking, I'll come back with part two of this film, you know, in July of next year. Uh, but I want to point you back to that. You can go back to that if you want to jot that down, June 3rd, 2016. It's in our archives of sermons on the website. Uh, and let me encourage you to go back to that because in that sermon on Matthew 18, we looked at what is forgiveness. 
Uh, and we looked at what's the difference between forgiving someone who's repentant versus someone who's unrepentant and tried to parse out some of the nuances of that. We're really not gonna address those things today. Other than this, I, I'll give you a short recap of a definition of forgiveness. And this is taken from uh, an old saint, Thomas Watson. And, and I got it from a, a John Piper sermon where he had quoted it and I thought it was really useful. So let's remind ourselves of this. Forgiveness, the nature of forgiveness is, is really six things according to Watson, which are a good summation of what the Bible teaches, I think. That to, when you're forgiving someone, when you say, I forgive you, here's what you're really saying. You're resisting taking revenge upon that person. In other words, you are, you are letting go of the right that you have to, to, for payment on the debt. They owe you a debt and you're letting go of that payment. You're saying, I resist the right to take revenge. I will not return evil for evil. That's the second thing. The third thing Watson says is that to forgive someone is to wish good things for them. That's kind of taking another step forward, isn't it? It's one thing not to return evil for evil. It's another thing to say, I wish good things for them. To forgive is to grieve for this person when they encounter hard times. That's even further. To grieve for them when they encounter hard times. To pray for them. This is a key one, to seek to be reconciled to them so far as it depends upon us. Now that may be the one part of forgiveness with an unrepentant person that's not possible. You may seek to be reconciled and be unable to be reconciled because a person is either uh, unwilling to forgive you or unwilling to ask for forgiveness. And so reconciliation, right relationship may not be possible but it's to seek to be reconciled as far as it depends on us. And then finally, coming to their aid when they are in need. That's, that's Thomas Watson's six-part definition of what it really means to forgive. We touched on that a year ago when we talked about Matthew 18. But like I said, we're not gonna dwell on that today. And we're not gonna dwell on the distinctions between an unrepentant person who needs forgiveness versus a, a repentant person. In fact, next week we're gonna talk about repentance. That'll be the subject of our sermon next week is repentance. It kind of fits well together, right? Forgiveness. And we'll talk about repentance. Here's what I want to do today. I want to answer one question, and I want to be super simple. In fact, my goal is to, is to finish so that we have plenty of time to actually sit in the presence of the Lord and reflect. So I, I want to preach a short sermon today, and I know you're thinking, good luck. <laughs> but by God's grace, we will get there, all right? We did it in the first service. We can do it again, all right? So I, I want to give us time to reflect upon... Um, perhaps the forgiveness that we are, the unforgiveness that we are walking in, the forgiveness that we're failing to give and just to let God speak to that. Because I believe more than you need to really hear a sermon on this, you need to hear God's spirit speaking to you about who you need to forgive. So I believe he'll begin to bring that to mind as we preach and then I just want us to spend some time uh, in prayer and waiting on the Lord and then we'll close with a song. So um, the simple question we're gonna ask today is this, how do I forgive? That's the only question we wanna answer today. How do I forgive? How do I actually access the power to forgive the person who has wronged me, who has harmed me, uh, whether that be in, in very significant ways or very insignificant ways? Now, I know the danger, friends, the danger is as I talk about possibly someone who's really, really just committed a, a really pretty big atrocity against you, if you're more in the camp of going, you know, it's, it's like minor offenses. I can't even think of anyone who's really done anything like massively wrong to me, uh, don't think that you still don't need to forgive the minor offenses done against you. We're, we're trying to hit the full spectrum, okay? You with me? Everybody with me? So we're gonna try and hit the full spectrum. So that's the one question we're gonna answer. Now, the New Testament in particular gives two answers to that question, two and only two. 
It's really simple, right? I'm not gonna tell you anything you probably haven't heard before, but what you need is not new things to be told to you about forgiveness. You need to go deeper into old things. So here's what I wanna tell you. The New Testament teaches about how, in, in, the, in answer to the question, how do I forgive? The answer is two, two parts. Number one, by knowing how much God has forgiven me in Christ. That's part one. By knowing how much God has forgiven me in Christ. Part two, by knowing the danger of failing to forgive. By knowing the danger of failing to forgive. So let's look at the first part of that answer to the question, how do I forgive? Uh, Ephesians chapter four, I had you there. We'll put it up on the screens. Look at verse 32 in Ephesians chapter four. It says this. It says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted." Forgiving one another, so there's our word, forgiving one another. And by the way, that's a command, that's not a request. That's in the imperative, uh, in the original language. So what that means, imperative means it's a command. It's not, it's not Paul writing and God is speaking through Paul saying, hey, it'd be nice if you forgave. I think that'd be a good idea. In fact, I, I, just, I just wanna say that that would be like the cherry on top of the Sunday for me if you would just forgive one another. It's an imperative, it's a command. He says, forgive one another. And then he includes just the most important phrase after that. Look at what he says after that. Do you see it? Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. As God in Christ forgave you. In other words, he's saying you need to forgive as you have been forgiven by God in Christ. Now turn over to Colossians chapter three because he's gonna make the same point. So just a couple pages to the right. Colossians chapter three Colossians and Ephesians have a lot in common, by the way, as books of the Bible. But Colossians chapter three, verses 12 through 15. Listen to what he says here now. Similar idea. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion and kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. So a lot of good character traits he's calling for. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, so there's our forgiveness again, command, forgiving each other, and look what he says. I, I lost my place. <laughs> there we go, found it. Forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Okay, don't let my faux pas rob the power from that, all right? As God has forgiven you. Now, here's what's happening. Right? You read that and you probably think, oh, that he's giving us the why. I must forgive others because I have been forgiven by God in Christ. That's Ephesians 4, that's Colossians 3. Got it. But he's not just telling us why. He, he is telling us why, but he's not just telling us why. He's telling us how. He is telling us how. We must become people who recognize how much God has forgiven us in Christ. And when we do, it will make it increasingly difficult, in fact, impossible to not forgive others. When we begin to get what the debt that was paid for us was by Christ, that God was owed a debt and God paid the debt himself in his son so that we wouldn't have to pay it. This is exactly what George was talking about when he was talking about that hospital bill that they received. There was a debt he could not pay and it was paid for him. Whenever someone pays a debt for you that is owed to them, they become all the poorer because they were owed the money that, that you owed to them and when they pay it on themselves, they are essentially taking the loss. You see that, right? And for God in Christ to forgive us is the key to us then learning how to forgive others. So, 
There's at least two reasons why that's the case. So God's forgiveness of us in Christ becomes a source of our giving forgiveness to others because in it we see, number one, that we have done infinitely, that we have been forgiven infinitely more by God than we would ever need to forgive someone else. You and I have been forgiven infinitely more by God in Christ than we would ever possibly need to forgive someone else. Now, perhaps you think about that and you think, well, man, I, I've been done a lot of wrong. I mean, but let's just, let's just play that out for a minute, right? If you've been lied to, deceived, wounded in that way, have you not lied to God? Have you not kept back truth from, have you attempted to hide from God and deceive him? Or perhaps you've been stolen from. Someone has taken from you something that belonged to you and they've taken it from you. My friend, could I kindly point you to the fact that you and I have stolen from God? We have stolen glory that belonged to him and taken it for ourselves. We have kept back money that belongs to him and we've used it for our purposes. We have stolen from the one who is owed everything. Perhaps we might go even as far as murder. Someone has taken a life of someone precious to us and we think to ourselves, how could I ever forgive such an atrocity? But then we remember that we killed God's son. You and I are guilty of nothing less than the murder of the perfect son of God. We pressed the crown of thorns into his head. We drove the nails through his wrists and his feet. We lashed his back. We are guilty and deserving of condemnation. But God in Christ has shown us mercy. No matter how great the atrocity committed against you, it pales in comparison to what you and I have been forgiven in Christ by God. Even as I say that, here's been my prayer and my hope that you would feel something in you begin to melt into softness, out of hardness, out of unforgiveness, and into mercy. Because the saving work of Christ on the cross has a way of saying, look, when I stand before the throne of the Holy One and I say, forgive me, I have stolen, I have cheated. I have loved other gods. If someone's had an affair on you, you have had an affair on God. You've cheated your true and better spouse. You have been unfaithful. I have been unfaithful. And when I go before his throne in prayer and I say, forgive me, and he pours out forgiveness upon me because of what Christ has done and declares to me, come back, come in, you are mine. I don't reject you, I receive you. When that happens to me, daily in prayer, how can I stand before another person who says to me, I have wronged you, please forgive me, and have any response other than absolutely of course. I have been forgiven infinitely more than you have ever done to me. That's the, that's the key. The second thing we know, friends, the second thing we know when we know that we have been forgiven by God in Christ, and that's the source of our forgiveness, is we know that we have a father we can trust. 
We know we have a father we can trust. Sometimes giving forgiveness can feel unsafe because it's letting go of our sort of position of authority. Letting go of the grudge means letting go of the right to sort of speak ill of that person or to cause them harm in return. And that feels unsafe because they've caused us harm and now we're not gonna cause it in return. How, how, are, we gonna, how are we gonna make things, how are we gonna get our footing back in life? How are, we gonna, how are we gonna make our way forward in the company if we can't speak ill of them when they spoke ill of us? How, how's that gonna work? But the thing is, when we know we've been forgiven by God in Christ, we know that we have a good father who's able to protect us and watch over us. And here's the other thing we know. The Lord will make all things right. Everyone who has ever attacked one of his children will receive retribution for that. That retribution will either be poured out upon Christ and he will absorb the wrath of God for that sin that that person committed against us if they will turn and come to Christ and seek mercy and forgiveness in him. Or on the day of judgment, God's wrath will be poured out upon all sin done against all his people. It will either be poured out upon Christ or upon those who have committed the sin. But either way, God declares that he is able to justify and to make right all that has been done against us. And we must trust him. I'll give you a practical skill. This is important because, again, I said I want to be exceedingly practical. And I know that this, what I'm talking about, falls in the, into the category of ideas have consequences, as my good friend John Stone Street likes to say, right? Ideas have consequences. I believe, therefore I live, therefore I do. And so all our ideas have consequences. They shape the way we think and the way we live. And these are ideas that we need to press into so that we might begin to live in forgiveness. But I don't want you to miss that there are some practical realities, things that you can do that will begin to help you embrace these ideas. And the biggest one that you can do is to make confession a regular discipline in your life. Look, when you go to God and you confess your sins to him, you're not confessing things he doesn't know. You know that, right? So I've kept this one pretty tucked away, God, so I'm pretty sure you're not aware of it. Let me bring it to you. Right, he knows. There's nothing unseen. So when, when the Bible says confess your sins to God, it's not telling you to do that because he doesn't know about those things. When you confess your sins to God, what you're doing is you are agreeing with God that what you have done is wrong. You're saying, God, I am in agreement with you that this is sin and you are justified to condemn me. It's what David does in Psalm 51 after he's committed adultery and murder. He says, essentially, God, you are justified to, condemn, to say that what I've done is wrong. I agree with you. That's, that's in essence what confession is. But the more you spend time in confession, the more you will find that your heart softens towards those who must come to you and seek forgiveness from you and confess to you the wrong that they've done. You'll find that confession is a discipline. So I'm, I might even say it this way. If you find that your heart is not tender and soft towards people who have wronged you and then seek forgiveness from you, if you find that your heart isn't quick to want to give forgiveness, you have probably not spent enough time in confession yourself. You have probably not spent enough time before God confessing your sin and hearing him declare to you, paid in full, your debt is paid by the blood of Jesus. Because the more you hear that in response to the confessions you give, and by the way, if you're in Christ, that's all you will hear from God, right? You never have to fear that you will go to God in confession and this 100th time now he'll go, no, it's not paid this time. It's not done this time. Every time, that's what you will hear. And the more you hear that, the more you will say it to others when they need to hear it from you. You with me, church? Okay, second part then. Second part. 
Second way that we answer the question, the New Testament answers the question of how do I forgive, how do I become a forgiving person, is by knowing the danger of failing to forgive. Turn with me to Matthew chapter six. This will be familiar, probably even if you're brand new to church, my guess is that this might be familiar to you. This is the Lord's Prayer. So the disciples had asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. We need to know how to pray. And so he teaches them and he says a number of things. And then in verse 12 through verse 15 of chapter six, I want you to, I want you to be reminded of this prayer. So Jesus says, when you pray, you know, pray in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread, so provide for us, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so there's that same idea that we've been talking about, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3. Forgive, I'm praying, Lord, forgive those people, right, just as I've been forgiven by you. So that's my source. And then he says in verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now here comes the crux of it in verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay, here's what's gonna happen. The second I say that, because hopefully you've been around for a little while. If you've been around for a little while, the question that should come through your mind is like, wait a minute, does that mean forgiveness that I get from God is contingent upon forgiving other people? Is that the warning here? That way I thought that the scriptures teach that I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and that when I'm saved, there's nothing I can do to undo the forgiveness that I've received from God. And those are all true things. But friends, here's what you need to understand. Don't wriggle out from underneath this warning because you need to hear the weightiness of this warning. What he is saying, what Jesus himself is saying when he teaches us to pray is that if you do not forgive, you are in danger of hell. It's the same point he made in Matthew 18 in the parable of the unforgiving servant. Do you remember that parable? Jesus says there's two servants. One owes a multi-million dollar debt to his master. And he comes to the master. The master says, I'm collecting on the debt now. You need to pay me. And the servant says, I can't, I can't pay. I don't have the money. And out of mercy, the master forgives the debt, just wipes it away. Just says, you're forgiven the debt. Then that same servant walks out, finds another servant who owes him a couple thousand dollars and says to that servant, pay up. And he says, I don't, I don't have the money. I can't pay. Please be patient with me. And he says, no, you're going to jail. The master hears about it, summons the, the unforgiving servant back to his throne and says to him, you wicked servant, how are you not going to forgive a couple thousand dollar debt when I have forgiven you millions of dollars? Cast him into jail until he pays the last debt where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's an, it's an allusion to hell. So both Matthew 18 and Matthew chapter six in the Lord's Prayer are saying to us, if I fail to forgive, I will fail to be forgiven. And we should not wriggle out from underneath that. Now here's how that, here's how that works out. Think about what a lack of forgiveness really and truly is. When you fail to forgive, what you're really failing to do is trust God. If you don't forgive, you don't forgive because you think you need to hold on to the grudge and you cannot trust God to make things right. You cannot trust God to protect you. You cannot trust God to work out his plan in your life. And your failure to trust God is a failure of faith. And what saves us, church? Faith. The failure to forgive reveals a failure of faith. That's why those who fail to forgive are in danger of hell. 
because they lack faith that God is enough, that God is good. A failure to forgive, to walk in unforgiveness reveals that the heart has not embraced true forgiveness through faith in Christ. That's what Jesus is teaching us here in Matthew 6. It's what he's teaching in the parable in Matthew 18. Now, how does that help me forgive? How does knowing the danger help me forgive? Well, one, it should strike the fear of God into me. It should cause me to say, I, I cannot fail to forgive. It is a real danger if I fail to forgive. If I find in my heart an unwillingness and an inability to forgive, then that must send me back to the throne of God to beg and to plead for mercy, for true, genuine faith that can lead to giving forgiveness. It must drive me to my knees in fear of being separated from God. That's, that's number one. Number two, and if you can frame it this way, I find it immensely helpful when I need to forgive someone to frame it as an opportunity to trust God. That when that person comes to me and says, I need your forgiveness, would you forgive me? Look, there's a part of me that almost always is still angry, still frustrated, perhaps feels unsafe and thinks, I don't want to forgive this person. But if in that moment I can remember that I am being given an opportunity to display practically my trust in God, that he holds my life in his hands, that he will guide and direct me, that he will protect me and watch over me like a good father. When I remember in that moment that I am either choosing to trust God or to not trust God, then it becomes silly not to give forgiveness because all of a sudden it's changed the stakes of what's taking place in that moment. I make it about my relationship with God and whether I'm gonna trust him or not rather than primarily about my relationship with this person and whether I'm gonna forgive them or not. And when I do that, I mean, if you're like me, you have these moments, right, where you say, like when it turns into the conversation with God and go, and you say, God, am I gonna choose to trust you or not trust you? Well, now all of a sudden you feel really stupid when you choose the wrong thing, right? You recognize to yourself, like, I, I know the right answer to this question, right? How am I gonna do anything else but trust you? So to frame it that way and to remember that that's what's taking place in that moment when you're being asked to forgive is, I think, incredibly important. Now, just quickly, I want to say the, you know, the last, there's, a, there's another danger, there's another danger in failing to forgive, and it's the danger of living a life filled with bitterness and resentment. Because it's not just an eternal danger, there's a here and now danger to failing to forgive. If you fail to forgive, you will find that you are going to be consumed with bitterness and consumed with resentment and consumed, consumed with the sense of how unfair life is and, and people are towards you. You're gonna take on a victim's mentality in life. It, it, around every corner, it will be why someone else is to blame and not you and why how this person did wrong to you. And friends, I, I just wanna tell you, that is a, that's just not, you weren't designed to live that way. You aren't designed to live wrapped up in bitterness and resentment. You were designed to live with love pouring into and out of your heart. You are most like God when you love. And you were designed to be like God, which means that you were designed to have a heart overwhelmed with love. Don't you know that the fullest moments in life are the moments when you're loving someone else, aren't they? when you're loving deeply and purely and unselfishly, when you're giving of yourself and, and, not, and counting the cost, you're just like, it doesn't matter, whatever. I, I am 
overwhelmed with love for this person, whether it be your kids or your spouse or your friends or your enemy, when you, you were designed to love. God first and people second. That's what you were made for. And to be wrapped up in bitterness, here's how it works. Look, you fail to forgive, right? And you, you fail and you won't love. If I had time, I'd read it to you. I'll just summarize the story for you in Luke chapter seven. Luke chapter seven, verses 36 through 50. There's this great story. Jesus, who is just, you know, he'll go eat with anybody. He'll go into tax collectors and sinners. He'll, he'll go in with Pharisees. And this Pharisee, Simon, has invited Jesus to dinner at his house. And Simon is really inviting him to kind of check him out as a teacher and a rabbi and a prophet and see what he thinks. And there's a woman that follows him into the house. Now, that's not that odd because when a rabbi and a, and a Pharisee got together, it was sort of required that the, the door remained open so anyone could come in and kind of sit against the wall and listen to the conversation that takes place and learn from that. So this woman sort of slips into the room, but she doesn't just sit against the wall. She immediately makes her way over to Jesus. She's got an alabaster flask that's filled with anointing oil. Uh, and she begins to pour it on the feet of Jesus. And she begins to weep. And then she takes her hair and wipes his feet with her hair, with, his, with tears and anointing oil. And Simon, the Pharisee, in his head, thinks if Jesus was really a prophet, he would know what a sinner this woman is. We don't know what she'd done, but she had a reputation somehow for being someone that should not be touching a holy person, a rabbi, a teacher, a prophet. And, there, and Jesus, proving that he is a prophet, actually reads Simon's mind and says to Simon, Simon, I have something I want to tell you. And Simon says, go ahead, teacher, speak. And Jesus says, there were two servants and they both owed a debt to their master. One owed a lot and one owed a little. And the, the master forgave both the debts. Which one of those servants do you think will love the master most? And Simon, because he's not totally one to give in, to, he, he responds in this interesting way. He says, well, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And he says, you've answered correctly. And then he says, do you see this woman? When I came into your house, you didn't offer me anything to clean my feet. You didn't greet me with a kiss, which would have been normal, would have been the thing to do for an honored guest. You didn't greet me with a kiss. You didn't give me anything, you know, any anointing oil for my feet or my head. Or you didn't do any of that. But from the moment I walked in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet, cry and use her tears to clean my feet, and then use her hair. And I tell you, that she has loved much and therefore has been forgiven much. And when he told the story of the, of the servants who had been forgiven, the way he concludes that story is with this sentence. He says, the one who is forgiven much loves much. The one who is forgiven much loves much. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that if you want a heart filled with love, what must you do? Forgive. Because if you know that you're forgiven, then you'll be overwhelmed with love for God and you will forgive others. And when you, when you are overwhelmed with love, you forgive. And then when you forgive, love flows into your heart. And you and I were designed to love, not to walk in bitterness and resentment. So friends, I just wanna say this. I know that there are many things that feel very, very hard to forgive. And perhaps it seems unfathomable that you could ever have the strength to do it. But I, I want to say to you, one, look at how much you've been forgiven by God in Christ. And number two, please consider the dangers of failing to forgive, both in the eternal and in the now. 
You were not made to be wrapped up in bitterness. You were made to be overwhelmed with love for others and to live and have that love pour out of you. All right, we did it. We made it. No, 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 no. Come on. Wasn't actually looking for applause, just some acknowledgement. That's all I need, guys. Let's talk about our relationship. We'll have, a, we'll have a DTR later and we'll talk, do y'all know what that is? Is that only 16 year olds use that term still? I should move on. Here's what I wanna do, <clears throat> forgive me. I wanna spend some time just reflecting. I've asked, the band can come on up. Uh, I've asked them to come up and they're just gonna play quietly for us for a little bit. Uh, we've got some time, okay? We ended a little early so that we could have this time. This is part of our worship today. My hope is that you might consider before the Lord, um, who do you need to forgive? Who is God not asking you to, commanding you to forgive? Who is he commanding you to forgive? For a little thing, for a big thing? Might encourage you to you know, take out a pen, write down the offense committed against you. Write it down on a piece of paper. Take one of those cards out of the seat pockets. Feel free to use those. Write down the offense committed against you and commit yourself before you leave this place to let that go. Tear it up if you need to. Leave it on the seats, that's fine, we'll get it. Take it and throw it in the garbage. But when you leave this place, leave determined to give forgiveness. And perhaps you might also need to consider where you are in need of asking for forgiveness. Who do you need to ask forgiveness of? Just one, here's, my, here's what I believe. The Holy Spirit wants, wants that to happen for you. He wants that to happen. I can say that with, with zero reservation. If you'll give him the time and the space to speak into that now, he'll show you. He'll show you. And there is power beyond what you would imagine available to you to be able to do this very difficult thing of forgiving. It's available to you. So come and find it. Come and receive it. So let's spend a little time in prayer. And then George and the team will lead us in a closing song. Lord Jesus, we come before you now and we want to wait upon you. Holy Spirit, we want to listen to you. We'll receive anything that you have to say. I just, I pray right now for all of us uh, that you would help us to have open hands before you. Whatever you want to show us, whatever you want to say, wherever we're in unforgiveness, we want to hear you. Uh, just take down our resistance. We're prone to want to resist you in this, in this whole thing. So just help us to not, help us to not resist you. So we, we listen now, we wait upon you in Jesus' name.